stand for the reading of God's Word, Ephesians 6, and we'll be reading the first four verses of the chapter. We'll read responsibly. I'll begin in verse 1. We'll begin together in verse 2 and then read every other verse together accordingly. The Bible says in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Together, verse 2, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That word fathers there in verse 4 in our English language means men, men that are the parent. But in the Greek language, that word fathers refers to a patriarchy, parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, and so whether you're a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandfather, a future mother, future father, uh, these uh, verses are written to us, and so the title of the sermon this week is this, Principles for Parenting, Principles for Parenting. We looked at some principles for Christian marriage last week. We're going to look at godly principles for parenting this week. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, help us to take the simple message that's been prepared today And Lord, for many, it will be reminders of what we already know. Uh, For others, this information might be revolutionary and uh, might be uh, uh, groundbreaking for them. And Lord, help us to take the Bible and put it into practice in our homes and in our lives. Help us to break out of the mold of what we've been doing, especially where it's been out of line with Scripture. And Lord, begin to do our best to follow your model because your model is best. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 600 teenagers that were found in New England prisons in the 1980s gave these startling facts as to why they were there. Six out of ten had fathers who drank to excess. Many had mothers in the same condition. Three out of four of these teenagers were permitted by parents to come and go as they pleased with no parental oversight. Seven out of ten had homes where no group or family activities were enjoyed. And for all of them, no family altar or devotions, no regular church attendance. We live in a day and time where many people, many people have children with little to no thought on how to raise them. They have little to no thought on how to raise them. The Bible teaches us that we are to have a long-term plan uh, when we become parents. Long-term plan for our children. In fact, Psalm 127, verse 4, the Bible says, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. I think of, uh, of, of children out in the woods playing with a bow and arrow and uh, maybe launching an arrow out into the darkness of the woods or out through the thickness of the woods with no idea of where that arrow is going. They're just recklessly firing arrows out into the woods, and then you have a mighty man, a mighty warrior who has an arrow and a bow, and he's taken the time to shape those arrows. He's spent money on the bow. He's gotten that bow just the way he wants it. He steps out in the woods, and those arrows are valuable to him. Those arrows are important to him, and he's taken time to shape them and prepare them. And as he draws that uh, 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 bow back, as he pulls back on that arrow, he's going to let that arrow arrow 
fly into the woods with an intended target, with an idea of where it's going to go. And my friend, we are called as parents, grandparents, to be the latter. Where when we fire that child off into the world uh, at 18 or 21 or 25, that child leaves our nest, leaves our home with a, 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 a with an idea of what they're going to do and how they're going to make an impact in the darkness. And, and sadly today, many people have children and when they have a child, they let the world raise them. They let the culture raise them. They uh, just sort of take a, um, a laissez-faire approach and that child leaves the home at a certain age with um, uh, and goes wherever they want to go. It's that child who's just firing those arrows into the woods, sight unseen. Many struggling marriages will have children with the anticipation that the child will make their marriage better. This is unwise, and it puts way too much responsibility on that child. Can I just say this? I have never, ever, ever seen a struggling marriage have a baby and the marriage get better. (laughs) Not once. Now, my wife and I had a really good marriage, and we had babies, and we learned where we needed to improve our marriage. Amen? And uh, we saw that, boy, there's some stresses added that an infant brings, and that infant's crying at 3 a.m., and keeping you up all night, and, uh, you know, I continue to get my eight hours of sleep, but Angela, not so much, amen? How many of you dads were good dads, and you got up in the middle of the night and took turns with your wife? You're better men than me, amen? Um, I just kept pretending like I was sleeping. You say, is that lying? Probably. God will forgive me, amen? Um, But um, uh, it didn't help our marriage get better. In fact, it put stresses on our marriage. This idea that I can have a baby and somehow this baby is going to help our marriage improve and get better, that never, ever works. Now, please listen. Just because a couple has a marriage license to have children does not mean that they are necessarily ready to do so. Just because a couple has a marriage license to have babies, you need to make sure you're ready to do that. When I uh, do counseling with couples prior to marriage, one of the things I tell them is that before you two get pregnant, and definitely before that child is birthed, you two need to write out a rather a parenting contract. What it is you want to accomplish, start at the very end and work backwards. What do you want your child to become or what are your long-term goals for that child? And then work backward on how you're going to train up that child. You're going to raise that child in order for that child to become that. Now, I have sitting in the room today those who are in the throes of parenting. You have children living at home. You're doing the best to raise them. I have other folks in the room today. Your children are all grown and raised and now you have moved into the role of grandmother or grandfather. I'm going to say that uh, the message today applies to you as well because while you may have more of a hands-off approach with parenting, you still are a godly influence in that child's life to help them become who God has them to be. I propose this morning that parents and future parents ought to have some principles in place about how they are going to raise and rear their children. Let me tell you, as a a, a dad with a 12-year-old and an 11-year-old or 10-year-old, rather, in the room, what I am fastly learning. From birth to nine. From birth to nine, you do more teaching 
than training. Meaning, you're teaching them how. You're teaching them how. And then from 10 to 18 and beyond, you're doing more training than teaching. Uh, you become more of a coach. And you've taught them right from wrong. You've helped them understand uh, uh, how to do right. Now you're training them as they get put in different scenarios and uh, different uh, uh, different places. You're training them. You're coaching them through. There's still the teaching. There's still the correcting. But boy, you're getting them to learn how to do it themselves. You're raising them to be independent. So today I have three thoughts, three principles I want to share with you about how to raise children that grow up to have a heart for the Lord, a child that can make an impact for good in a world filled with evil. Three simple principles. Notice principle number one, the principle of charity, the principle of charity. Look back with me at Ephesians chapter six and look with me at verse number four, Ephesians chapter six. And verse 4, the Bible says, And ye fathers, ye parents, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up, look here, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In the nurture and admonition. Now, if you're a parent here today, or a grandparent, or a future parent, God tells us that you have two tools in the tool bag when it comes to parenting. They are nurture and admonition. Nurture and admonition. That word nurture carries with it the idea of being charitable and loving and kind. Take your Bibles with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Just a couple of books back to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, and look with me at verse number 8. It's so important as a mom and a dad that you love on your children, that you are charitable and caring and kind and compassionate with them. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, and look at verse number 8. The Bible says, Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, I'm going to make an application from this verse this morning. And uh, I could get theological and teach to you the finer points of theology of 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm not going to give you the interpretation of the passage, but I am going to give you some applications this morning. Children spell love, T. I-M-E. That's how they spell love. And to tell your children you love them without giving them any quality time and without giving them quantity of your time, uh, your children are going to get to the place where they just don't believe you. You, um, you can tell somebody you love them till you're blue in the face, but if you're not going to spend any time with them, at some point they're going to look at where you are spending your time and say, well, you may love me, but you love that more than you love me. Dad, uh, you spell love, W-O-R-K, because that's where you always are. Mom, you spell love, P-H-O-N-E, because that's what you're always looking at. I've gone to the park, and I've watched as children are playing on the playground, and Mom's sitting on the bench looking at Facebook. Now, I'm just getting down on the bottom shelf this morning. I hope we're okay. You can be with your kids at the park. Be with your kids at the park. Right? Pay attention to them. Love on them. Spend time with them. You know, it's a good idea when you're home with your kids to put your phone away, put your tablet away, turn the TV off, and play a board game. Amen? I hate board games. They're called board games for a reason because they're boring. Amen? But my kids love board games. 
So I force myself to play board games from time to time. Now, I've learned I can't play board games with Angela because she is so competitive. Actually, it's me that's competitive. Amen? And, uh, but uh, board games. And spend time with them. Take them places. Uh, listen, Dad, you're going to go to the store. You're going to go to the hardware store. Pick up some lumber or pick up a new tool. Take your boy with you. Take your girl with you. Uh, stop getting an ice cream cone from time to time. You say, well, I can't afford all that. Then just spend time with them. The principle of charity. Too many parents are neglectful with their kids. and They see their kids as a burden, and they're not spending time with them. Now look back at verse 8. It says, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall uh, 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 vanish away. God has given all of us gifts and talents and abilities, and those are to be used uh, to better ourselves and to provide for our families, and specifically the work of the Lord to be done. And you need to be involved and invested at church, and you need to use the talents God's given you at church. Ideally, you're doing that with your children. But let me just say this. Don't be so caught up using the talents and abilities that God has given you that you fail to love your children and give them the time that is required to love your children. Charity never Faileth. Charity never faileth. Look down at verse number 9 and 10. The Bible says, But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. Look at the maturation process from the charity. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And we need to make sure that we're loving our children and grandchildren through the process of maturing, through the process of maturing. My son is getting ready to go into the seventh grade. And listen, I have to tell you that seventh graders might be the most annoying people on planet Earth. If you're in seventh grade here today, I love you. Amen. Uh, But my son's getting ready to go through this phase where I'm not sure if he'll be human for a few years. But we're going to love on him anyway. And, um, uh, you know, uh, listen, whether you uh, uh, get along well with your child or not, you need to love on them. You need to show them that charity. The truth is... There are going to be plenty of people in your child's life that are going to fail them. You need to be there for them when that happens. There's going to be a boyfriend that breaks your little girl's heart. There's going to be a girlfriend that breaks your boy's heart. Sometimes your children might be the heartbreaker, amen? Um, There's going to be situations where a teacher or a youth worker lets them down. I remember when I was in the the, uh, ninth grade, I had a youth worker who got really frustrated with some things that were going on in the church. And I remember on a Sunday morning, I was very close to this guy. His name was Brother Aaron. And he uh, shut the door to the basement of the church where the teen department met. And for the next 45 minutes, he got up and he ran and he raved and he told us everything wrong that the pastor had ever done. And when he finished his ranting and his raving, he pulled out a piece of paper and he read his resignation to the church, to the youth group, and then he left it on the pulpit and he stormed out the door and I never saw him again. That hurt. I mean, I had gone to get a burger with this guy plenty of times, and this guy was big into, you know, wrestling, and, and uh, we loved to talk about wrestling, and we loved to talk about sports, and he'd go, go in the gym and play basketball with me. This was my friend. I had given this guy a portion of my heart, and he was being a good spiritual influence on me for the most part, and he just walked out of my life. And you know who was there for me when I got home that afternoon? My mom and dad. My mom and dad. People are going to fail your children. Boy, you need to be there for them, to love on them. 
grandparents, people are going to let your children down. You need to be there to love on your grandbabies and show them that through it all, there is a principle of charity. Things are going to come. Things are going to go. People are going to come. People are going to go. Problems are going to come. Problems are going to go. But the one constant in their life ought to be a charity that is in your heart, a love that is in your heart toward them. Verse 9 and 10 talk about the maturation of a child into adulthood. The sunshine that grows the flower to maturity is love. If you will love your child with a godly love, then you will help to turn them into godly people. The principle of charity. Notice uh, principle number two, the principle of correction. The principle of correction. Look back with me at Ephesians chapter 6 and look at verse number 4. The Bible says, And ye fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture. We looked at that. That's love. That's charity. Look at the second tool in the tool bag. And admonition of the Lord. Admonition of the Lord. That means that you're going to correct them. You're going to admonish them. You're going to keep them under control. You're going to discipline them. You're going to teach them how to live a disciplined Lifestyle. The Duke of Wellington once said, The thing that impresses me most about America is the way parents obey their children. Let that settle in for a minute. The way parents obey their children. We have two extreme extremities in our culture today. There are homes where mom and dad are neglectful of their kids. The kids roam the streets at night, leave when they want, come back when they want. Moms and dads don't push their kids to bathe or uh, take care of their personal hygiene. This has been a problem that's gone on probably since the existence of parents and children, at least very early on in that process. And children like that get hurt because mom and dad aren't there to love on their children. Children get abused and taken advantage of. And we've all, been, we've all been alive long enough to see those situations where parents are neglectful in doing their duty. And they need a pastor to sit down with them and say, Love on your children. Be there for them. Spend time with them. Uh, look after them. Uh, watch over them. Protect them. But I, I believe that for many folks in today's culture, that's not the problem. We're really, really good at coddling our children. We're really, really, really good at making sure that nothing ever injures or hurts our children. Now, I could stand up here this morning and go on some extreme rant about being overprotective. And there's probably a place and time for that. I'm not going to do that this morning. Some folks like to bubble wrap their children to an extreme. And I think that God puts in the heart of most mothers, or really every mother that follows it, a desire to make sure their children are safe. I'm not going to throw shade on that or put that down. I think that's important. God made mothers to do that, and that's important. And and made dads also to love on their children, but maybe not quite to the same extreme as a mother with a safety and protection thing. But can I tell you today that while you are making sure your child is safe and loved on and taken care of, you need to make sure that child learns how to behave themselves. You need to learn how to punish a child. And there is a right way and a wrong way to correct a child. To let a child run all over you and run your home, you are doing that child a great disservice. A great disservice. I look at our country today and I see that people my age and 
maybe a little older than me, but definitely younger than me, uh, my age and younger, if not a little bit older, they're nothing but a bunch of spoiled, rotten brats that have grown up and now are wanting to run the country. They didn't have a mom and dad properly corrected them. I look at people my age and younger and I see a bunch of entitled folks. You ever done something nice for someone only to have them never say thank you for it? Why is it that you can do something real nice for someone and have them completely, you know, never express gratitude? Now, I could do a better job of writing thank you cards, right? I, I could probably improve in that area. But can you at least send a thank you text? Can you express a thank you face-to-face for a kind deed that's been done? There's nothing worse than when you do go way out of your way to do something for someone and they just act like, oh, yeah, well, you know, because I'm so wonderful, you were supposed to do that. That's not fun. You know, it kind of sucks out the desire to want to do anything nice for someone moving forward. Um, I can remember when I was a little kid watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. How many of you remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Now they got, like, Danny the Tiger, I think. It's the same concept on uh, PBS. And Mr. Rogers would sit there, and he'd just have children in the palm of his hand. He'd just have me mesmerized as a little kid. And he would talk about the importance of please and thank you. Please and thank you. Boy, those are very... I know this is... Listen, this is basic. But this is... We're hitting reset buttons today, amen? There's some adults in the room that need to learn how to say please and thank you. Please and thank you. And if you'll learn how to say please and thank you, we can teach the children below us how to say please and thank you. Some of you grew up in homes where your mommy made your bed for you every day, and so now you think everyone would just give you everything in life. Amen? We okay today? I'm stepping on some toes, aren't I? We, uh, we need to get back to an attitude of gratitude. An attitude of gratitude. The principle of correction. Let me give you a couple thoughts below this. Letter A, notice a purpose in punishment. A purpose in punishment. Many parents give little or no thought at all or, or know why it is that they punish their children. Um, if we do not have a reason in punishing our children then what will end up happening is we'll allow our emotions to dictate whether or not we punish them. This is never a good idea. Let me show you how this works in most homes, all right? Okay. You got a child, and he's three years old, four years old, and uh, the child's doing something that you don't want that child to do. Maybe if you're a mom here today or dad here today, you got a teenager. This whole scenario could play out with teenagers as well, all right? And you say to them, okay, hey, um, stop screaming at the top of your lungs. Knock that off. And so the child stops for about five seconds. He goes right back to it. And you say again, don't scream at the top of your lungs. And he does it again. And you're on the phone, right? You're having a phone call. Maybe you're on the phone with someone that's important. And the child goes right back to screaming. And you say, you better stop right now or I'm going to kill you. I'm not actually going to kill him. You know what that child's going to do? Watch this now. 
That child is going to continue to misbehave until that child knows you mean business. Why can't we get our children to behave the very first time we tell them to stop something? Here's how it ought to work. You look at a child and say, you better stop screaming at the top of your lungs or you know what's going to happen. And that child thinks, I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to stop right now. If you punish out of emotion, you're going to always end up punishing out of emotion. We need to have a purpose in our punishment. Proverbs chapter 29. Look at verse number 17 with me in Proverbs chapter 29. The Bible says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Why is it that we punish? Is it so that that child will quit getting on our nerves? Or is it because we want that child to live a disciplined life and be compliant and obedient? Compliant and obedient. I'm going to tell you right now, if you've got a toddler in the home, you have your hands full. And being a parent of a toddler is not for the faint of heart. You have to make sure that you stay on top of doing the duty of correcting, or one day you're going to end up having a monster on your hands. I look at a lot of parents who have teenagers at home, and oh, their life is miserable. Their life is hard. Their life is tough. Their quality of life stinks because that child who's a teenager never learned how to behave themselves when they were three, and now that child is 13, 14, 15, and that now the problems aren't just uh, taking the lid off the toothpaste and squeezing toothpaste off the floor. The problem is boys, or the problem is girls, or the problem is the internet, or the problem is uh, 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 staying out late at night, or the problem is uh, rebellion, open rebellion, and the parent of that teenager uh, uh, hurts and uh, is having a hard time. And I would just say, you need to have a purpose in your punishment. Get those things under control when they're little, and it'll be a lot easier to deal with when they're older. And then when that child turns 18, 19, 20, 21, because you got them to behave as a child, they'll continue to follow the Lord as an adult, or more, much more likely will. We need to have a purpose in punishment. It can't just be spank out of anger, uh, punish out of frustration. There needs to be a purpose behind what we're doing. Let her be notice a plan to punish. A plan to punish. Now, um, in the 1970s, our world was bombarded by the false teachings of Dr. Spock. In his books, Raising Children in a Difficult Time, and the book he wrote entitled Spock on Parenting, he taught that it is psychologically damaging for a parent to spank his child. His books teach that there are better methods than spanking. Now, I went on, I said in the beginning that these were false teachings. Now, how could I make such a bold statement? Well, because the Bible offers a, a philosophy that is in direct contrast, that is in direct opposition to what Mr. Spock wrote. Turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 15. Proverbs 22 and verse number 15. The Bible says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Now before I read the rest of the verse, let me just say here, Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, we, I understand, I'm a parent, I understand that you love your children and you want to believe the absolute best about your child. 
But I'm just going to tell you right now that that child of yours, and, and this goes for my children as well, that child or grandchild of yours is born with foolishness in his heart. Born with foolishness in his heart. I told the story before about the, the mom who uh, called Angela about uh, her daughter and, 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 and wanted to write a letter to the kindergarten teacher and uh, told the, the, uh, wanted to tell the kindergarten teacher, my four-year-old child doesn't know how to lie. And Angela read me the, the draft of this letter and I broke out laughing. And I said, oh yes, that child knows how to lie. Every child knows how to lie. And uh, we have parents who are just ignorant to the idea of just how wicked at, in the nature the child is. Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous. Romans 3.23 says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Your child was not born perfect and then exposed to a sinful world and, 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 and chose to become sinful. No, your child was born with a bend towards sin, a desire towards sin, a leaning towards sin. In fact, your child is born simple but staring at the land of foolishness with a desire to go there and it is in, your, in, in the uh, responsibility of the parents to take the foolishness Away. How do we do that? Look back at 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Someone says, well, pastor, that can't be talking about a paddle. And I would say that's absolutely what it's talking about. It's talking about a paddle. You say, oh, pastor, are you for beating kids? Well, more about that in a minute. The short answer is no. Look one chapter over at Proverbs 23. 13, 23, 13. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Beatest him with the rod. Now that language makes a lot of parents cringe. But let me just help you understand that in the 1600s, the 17th century, that word beatest meant something just a little bit different than it does today. The word beatest comes from the Hebrew word Tak, T-A-K, tak, which means to strike. Okay, look back at verse uh, 13. For if thou strikest him with the rod, he shall not die. Does that make, make everyone feel a little bit better? I'm not trying to change the King James Bible, but uh, if the Bible had been translated into today's terms, the word strikest probably would have been chosen. I love this quote here. Homer Phillips said, he said, Everything else in the modern home is now controlled by the flick of a switch, why not the children? Why not the children? Right? The flick of a switch. How many of you, when you were got in trouble, your mom used to make you go outside and pick your switch off the tree? Anybody here ever have to go through that? Okay. That was really a southern thing. I grew up in Mississippi and Alabama, and that was real common. My dad didn't do that. He had a paddle on the wall. Uh, my mom didn't like to use the paddle. And so she'd say, go outside and take, pick a switch off the tree. And then she'd hold us by the back of the shirt and in a circle. <laughs> the flick of a switch. Now let me say this morning that spanking has gotten a bad rap and somewhat for a good reason. Because there is a right way and a wrong way to spank a child. But if it's done out of a spirit of love, then it will be effective. If it's done out of a spirit of anger, then that, my friend, is child abuse. You spank a child out of a spirit of anger, that is child abuse. 
Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 8. Can we look down at verse number 8? It says, He that soweth in iniquity shall reap vanity. Look here. And the rod of his anger shall fail. The rod of his anger shall fail. Here's the problem with spanking a child out of a state of emotion. A child's, you know, being rambunctious and running around the house and playing and, and, and fraying your nerves, right? You have one last nerve and the child's got the pair of scissors out, right? Going after that last nerve. And, uh, you know, you wait until you are just emotional and upset and wound up and frustrated and stop! And that child knows he's crossed the line. Go to your room! And the child goes to the room and you come and, man, you've got a vein sticking out of your neck and blood's rushed to your hands. And listen, you're much bigger than that child. You take a paddle or a belt or a switch and you go in that room and whack, 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 whack. You know, that's anger, that's wrath, that's rage. That's not going to work. Here's the problem. You are correcting a child for their sin, but you are sinning yourself. What are we telling that child? Because I'm bigger than you, you have to listen to me. You're not always going to be bigger than that child. There's going to, grow, there's going to come a day where that anger in that child's heart that's been suppressed and suppressed and suppressed and suppressed begins to leak out in the form of rebellion. I see a lot of children who have been corrected out of anger. By the way, some of you say, well, I would never, ever, ever spank my child. I don't care what the Bible says. I would say these verses that are in the Bible are just as true and just as relevant as John 3.16. And you don't get to pick and choose what parts of the Bible you want to follow. That's creating your own religion. That's worshiping yourself. You say, well, pastor, what is the proper way to correct a child? Let me just sort of walk you through how it works in the Lejeune home. And let me just encourage you parents that don't have a plan to follow this one. If you have a plan that's effective, then follow yours. I'm not saying my plan is the best plan, but I have found my plan to be very successful, and I believe it accomplishes the Word of God and the will of God. So when um, something happens in the Lejeune home, we have three rules for our children, uh, and only three rules, but three rules for our children. Rule number one is obey first time every time. Obey first time every time. And uh, the second rule is absolutely no lying under any circumstance. No lying. And the third rule is proper attitude always. Do you know that a child can show a wrong attitude without ever saying a word? And so we teach our children there are three ways they show their attitude. That is what they say, how they say it, and their body language. What they say, their tone of how they say it, and their body language. If I tell Matthew to take out the trash and he stomps all over the kitchen and picks up that trash bag and gives me a look on his way out the door and throws it in the trash can and comes in and slams the door behind him, he hasn't said a word. That's disrespectful. That's a bad attitude. He says, well, I didn't say anything. Well, it doesn't matter. That body language is wrong. His mom tells him to do something. He says, yes, ma'am. Well, he said the right thing, but that tone was way out of bounds. That's going to get corrected. And so those three rules have been clearly explained. They've been talked about. They've been articulated. They know what they are. And let's say, and my children aren't perfect because my children are sinners and foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. Let's say that they cross that line. Well, what do we do? Well, here's what we do. Now, again, this works for those who are past the age of toddler. 
I'll talk about toddlers and younger in just a moment. But this, this, this formula works for those that are past uh, toddlers. So if you're taking notes, let me encourage you to write this down somewhere. Here's a formula that I would recommend you follow. Number one, send them to their room. Send them to their room. Now, if your child's got a PlayStation in his room, you probably should take it out. That's another sermon for another time. Uh, If they have a PlayStation or TV in their room, they're not to do anything fun. Have them just sit on their bed. If uh, that's not possible, send them to the bathroom and have them sit in there. There is literally nothing to do in a bathroom, okay? That's, well, I guess there's some things to do in a bathroom. There's nothing they should be doing in a bathroom. So uh, send them to their room. And number two, you need to cool off. You need to cool off. And so sometimes I've had to take 15 to 20 minutes and just... I am not going to walk in that child's room and correct that child while I'm emotional. Not going to do it. Will not do it. Number three, get alone and pray. Get alone and pray. You need to get on your knees and you need to ask God to give you the right spirit before you walk in that room to correct that child. Number four, address the sin with the child. Example, let's say that your child was playing with a ball in the hallway and that ball broke a vase, a very expensive vase. What sin was committed by that child? Breaking the vase? No. No, breaking the vase was not the sin. Listen now, listen now. The fact that you told the child to quit playing with the ball and he kept doing it, that is the sin. We're not going to get emotional over an expensive vase being broken. We're going to matter-of-factly handle the fact that they disobeyed. Teenagers, put your phone away. I'm talking to you, okay? I need you to listen up. You say, I'm not a parent. This doesn't apply to me. It will apply to you a lot sooner than you realize. I need you to listen up. In fact... If you're going to use your phone, make sure you're taking notes and not not playing around, okay? So you're going to go in and address the issue, all right? Now, I would highly recommend, and this is how we handle it in my house, that you have the child admit what they did wrong. They need to admit what they did wrong. What's the Bible say in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sin. So have that child admit their wrongdoing. So while you're addressing this, I guess number five could be admit have them admit that what, what they did wrong. Have them admit what they did wrong. Now, number six, cold, calculated spanking. You need to know when you walk in that room how many times you're going to swat them on the backside. I, I never am for bruising a child. I think it's abuse to bruise a child. I don't think you should leave a mark on that child. I know some children are fair-skinned, and so maybe it's, it, that becomes a little bit more difficult. But for the average child, you strike them hard enough for it to hurt, but don't you leave a marking on that child, and don't you ever, 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 ever hit them out of anger. You make sure you're cold and calculated in what you do. Number seven, embrace the child. Embrace the child. Make sure that child knows that you love them. Number eight, pray with that child. Now, this can be a time that's really precious. I know that when Matthew and April were really little, they didn't even know how to pray. And so I would say to them, now repeat after me, Dear Jesus, and they're crying. (laughs) Dear Jesus. I'm sorry I lied. I'm so sorry I lied. And it's hard to keep a straight face and not laugh, but you need to make sure you do. All right? And when I finish with that prayer, 
and they've confessed their sin to the Lord, I look to them and I quote, the, quote to them 1 John 1, 9, or if you don't have it memorized, read it to them, and then I make this statement to them. If the Lord has forgiven you, then I have forgiven you. It's dealt with and it's over. Now we're going to move on. We're going to move on. I remember the first time that I followed this plan with, with our children. I came out of the bedroom. Matthew done wrong. He got in trouble and, and, and been spanked and corrected. And we prayed. And First John 1, 9 thing, we came out. And I walked into the kitchen and I got him an ice cream sandwich and I gave it to him and I had an ice cream sandwich. I really just wanted an ice cream sandwich and I needed an excuse for one. That's what it comes down to. But I gave, and Angela looked at me and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, well he's been punished and he showed remorse. He's admitted what he did, so we're moving on. And that just left her scratching her head. Now, I contrast that with the way I was raised where I would be spanked, I would be punished, and then there would be like this, this weirdness in the air for like the next four hours between me and Dad. Where I would steer clear of Dad. Like, is he still upset with me? Is he angry with me? Is he... And, uh, and I had to kind of wait for him to make the first move to show there wasn't a grudge there anymore. And listen, that's not how it works with you and God, is it? You confess your sin with God, He immediately forgives you. If your child has admitted wrongdoing, been punished, and apologized to God, apologized to you for what they've done, then you need to follow the same model that God follows and you need to move on. A plan to punish. Now, if you have a toddler in the room, uh, listen, they're not going to understand this whole process. Let me just say that you need to be quick to spank. You need to be quick to spank. Now, uh, if you have a child, and again, this is just so important uh, for me to say, when do you start spanking a toddler, okay? I think this is an important thing to understand. My experience has been that the first time that toddler arches his back or her back, they understand what's going on. That, oh, I don't want to be held. They're expressing a will, their own will, and um, you need to be quick to spank. You need to be quick to take them and put your arm underneath their arms, spin them around and give them a good whack on the diaper. You don't have to hurt them, but that whack of disapproval will probably send them into tears and is going to help them to see, Mom and Dad don't approve of what I'm doing. Now, with Matthew, we had that single point where it was his will versus our will. And there was this massive, major clash. And let me just tell you how this went down. Angela and I were in the, our dining room there in Maryland where we lived. And Matthew was probably two years old, two or three years old. And he had a bowl of food that he liked. I think it was chicken. And Angela was putting it in his mouth. And he turned and he spit it on the floor. And I looked at him and I said, oh, no, you didn't. And so I took him out of his high chair and whack, 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 whack. I put him back down and he's screaming and crying. I looked at Angela and I said, put another spoon in his mouth. And so with his gumless or mouth or gum mouth or just a couple of teeth, she took that spoon, that plastic spoon, and she put it in his mouth and scraped it off the top of the lid of his mouth and food landed on his tongue. And boy, his crying went from being, I can't believe I got spanked to anger. And he spit it on the floor again. And I said, okay, it's game on. Here we go. And I picked him up, put him on my arms, whack, 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 set him back down. And I told her, I said, put more food in his mouth. I think I must have spanked him seven or eight times. By the eighth time, I had tears running down my cheeks. 
Angela had tears running down her cheeks. But he swallowed the food. And he finished the bowl. And you know what? From that point forward, I can count on one hand how many times that boy's directly disobeyed me. We had to have that moment where his sinful will was broken and he said, I will obey my parents. Now, the next time he disobeyed me directly was probably about six months later. He was washing his hands and he learned that if you put your hands up like this on the sink, the water will spray all over the room. And, you know, like most three-year-olds, he thought that was hilarious. And so I corrected him and told him not to do it again. And lo and behold, right after that, he did it again. And where do you think that water went? Right in my eye. And my blood pressure hit the roof. And I looked at Angela and said, I can't spank him because if I do, it will be abuse. You're going to have to correct him. And I had to walk away. Now, that's how it worked with Matthew. With April, we didn't have that point where it was that head-to-head clash, that tight-and-tight clash. With April, uh, really, it was just Angela day after day after day after day winning the little battles. Angela would tell April, she would say, uh, pick up your cup and put it up on um, on the table. And April would say, no! Now, um, you, you parents need to treat no like a curse word. No is a curse word in your home. A lot of parents will say, well, what's the big deal? I can put the cup on the table. Sure, you can put the cup on the table all day long, but you're missing the point. They have won. Their will has come out ahead of your will, and you are raising a monster. And so you need to make a big deal out of the little battles. You say, oh, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. You pick them up and correct them and make that child go over and pick up that cup and put it on the table. And until the child does exactly what you tell them to do, you have not won. I'm just getting right down on the bottom shelf and putting it where we live today. You need to have a plan to punish. And one day April woke up and just said, I am sick of getting my rear end whacked. I think today I'm just going to do what I'm told. And since that day, I can count on one hand how many times she has not directly obeyed us. Now, my children aren't perfect. They still do wrong. They've just become more covert about it from time to time. But I will say this. They love uh, us, and uh, they want to please us, and they want to do what's right. And I'm not here to put my children up on a pedestal, but I am here to say that correct discipline works. And you need to have a plan to punish. Don't just go through following your emotions. Go through with a set plan in place. Number one, the principle of charity. Number two, the principle of correction. Quickly, lastly, number three, the principle of consistency. The principle of consistency. Take your Bibles over to Psalm chapter number 12 and verse number one. We need consistency and uh, we need to love our children. That's so important that you spend time with your children, that you're compassionate with your children, that you're there for your children, um, uh, that you uh, are, are, it's obvious to them that love flows through your home. It needs to be clear that there is correction in your home and a plan to punish within your home. But uh, what we need above all, what we need with all of this, what needs to be thrown into the mix is a principle of consistency. Look at Psalm chapter 12, verse 1. Can we read it out loud together? Here we go. Ready? Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. A gross lack of of consistency as a parent can lead to failure as a parent altogether. We need moms and dads who are 
consistent. Consistent. Go to Proverbs 28 and verse number 20. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse number 20. Um, If you are loving toward your kids one month and you are neglectful toward your kids the next month, you send signals of confusion. If you are consistent in your punishment uh, and disciplining of your child one month and then you are inconsistent the next month or just lacking altogether the next month, you send signals of confusion. Of confusion. Proverbs 28 20. Let's read it together. Ready, everybody. A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. A faithful man abound with blessings. I can't think of a more important way to be. Uh, uh, to abound with blessings than, than to have children who are obedient and children who follow the Lord. We must work hard to abound with blessings. And a key to this is faithful, faithful, faithful. Listen closely what I'm about to say here. A mediocre plan that's held consistency, consistently will beat a great plan that's not followed consistently. You are better off parenting in a way that is improper but being consistent than doing it in a way that is proper but being on one week and off the next and off the next week and on the next. You need to make sure that you live a life of consistency. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that you should be perfect because no one's perfect, but you ought to shoot for consistency. Consistency. Letter A, be consistent with your schedule. Be consistent with your schedule. It is a good idea to go to bed, especially for your kids, to go to bed and get up at the same time every single day. Now, I get summer breaks and I get having a Memorial Day off and and I get weekends and that kind of thing, but there needs to be a consistent schedule uh, within your family. The children know every morning we get up at this time and breakfast is going to be served at this time and um, uh, uh, we're going to have our backpacks ready the night before or uh, uh, we're going to be out the door and, uh, at this time consistently. And There is just a great uh, uh, sense of security. There's a security blanket found in schedule. I heard someone one time say, and I think this is applicable to everyone, whether you have kids or not, make your schedule your boss. Make your schedule your boss. Have a schedule and follow the schedule. You moms that are at home with kids right now or raising kids at home, uh, be consistent with your schedule. The kids ought to know day after day just about what the schedule is going to be and follow that schedule. Make your schedule your boss. Be consistent. Be consistent with your schedule and let her be notice here. Be consistent with your system of discipline. Lack of consistency means our children feel unsafe, are unsure of what our expectations are, and have poor cause and effect thinking. If they were hungry and cried, and one time they were given food, and one time they were yelled at, and one time they were closed in a closet, then their brains are unavailable to clearly understand that certain behaviors and actions have certain reliable consequences. They will have trouble relating um, uh, their own behaviors and choices to corresponding consequences. And so you need to make sure there is a consistency that can be counted on by those children. Let's not act by emotion. Let's act with a plan. Children find security in consistency. If your children ever choose to leave the consistency of your home in order to live a life of sin, then they will eventually find their way back to that which they find as solid ground. What is the solid ground? Your consistency. You know the story of the prodigal son, don't you? We all here know the story of the prodigal son. He gets tired of dad's same old structure, 
Dad, same old rigmarole, right? Get up in the morning, go work in the field, come back tired, have dinner, get cleaned up, go to bed, get up the next morning and do it all over again. And Dad's a stick in the mud. Dad's a holy roller. Uh, Dad's just... Uh, just uh, just simple-minded, doesn't understand life. He goes to dad one day and says, give me what I have coming to me. I want my inheritance. He goes out and he wastes it all on the party life, or as the Bible calls it, riotous living. He's womanizing. He's drinking. He's having a good old time. He's experiencing the world only to realize that his life is now broken and empty. His friends are gone. His bank account's empty. And he lands in the pig pen, and he has uh, uh, he's starving to death. He can't even eat the pig food. He craves that even. And what happens he comes to himself and when he comes to himself what does he say he says there are servants that live in my father's home that have a bed to sleep in and food to eat he says i will go back to a man who is consistent and i will ask for his forgiveness and ask to be a servant here is the truth And to those of you in the room this morning that have a prodigal child, here is the truth. If you'll be consistent, you will provide them an opportunity when their life falls apart to come back. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. He will come back. Why? Because the dad stayed on the front porch. Every day that dad would go out and he'd look down that road to see if his child was coming home today. And he'd pray for that child. He didn't go look for him. He didn't get between God and the punishment of that child. Every day he came out on the front porch and he looked to see if his child was coming home. And one day that child woke up and said, I know my dad. My dad is consistent. My mom is consistent. I'm going home. I'm going home. And home he went, and home he found a safe haven, a safe place. The principle of consistency. 1 Corinthians 4.2, the Bible says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, each, uh, not each night, but regularly. I would say several times a year, I will go to my children, either into their room or I'll hold them in my arms, and I'll say this to them, I'll say, You do not belong to me. Listen, parents. I'll say to my children, you do not belong to me. You belong to the Lord. You are His, not mine. I am called to steward you so that you can make a difference for Him. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Psalm 127.4, As arrows in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Let us remember that the youngsters that live in our home, the grandchildren that look up and call us grandma or grandpa or whatever they happen to call you, they do not belong to us, they belong to God. We have a tremendous responsibility to train up a child in the way he should go. My challenge is simple this morning. Expose your children to biblical charity and biblical correction and then make sure that you are consistent with your applications. And I hope that we'll all give back to God children that are mature enough in their young adult minds to love God and want His will for their lives and want nothing else. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'd like to do something this morning that's unusual. I would like to ask every parent...
and grandparent in the room today to stand right where you are. If you're a parent or grandparent, I'd like for you to stand. Whether your children are at home or they're grown, every parent, grandparent, if you would, take, just stand up for me. With you standing, I'd like to have a word of prayer over each of you. Lord, today, before me, but more importantly before you in this room, stand parents and grandparents. Lord, these folks deeply love their children and grandchildren. Lord, my prayer is that you'll give them wisdom to know exactly how it is to take the message today, the truths from the Bible today, and put them into practice. Lord, for the parents today that have children who are still living at home, may they follow the simple truths laid out in your word. May they be more devoted to their families than they are to making money. May they be more devoted to raising their children to love you than anything else. Lord, some here are heavy-handed with the correction and need to do better with the charity. Others here are heavy-handed with the charity and need to do better with the correction. Lord, help them to make those changes. Lord, grandparents that are standing up before me. And then, Lord, even future grandparents in the room that would be standing now. Lord, please help them to know how they can use their godly influence. Help them to know the boundaries of where not to trounce on their children's ability to raise their kids and help them, Lord, to know how to bounce that grandchild on a knee or uh, coddle them in an arm and love on them and uh, sing to them scripture songs and quote to them Bible verses and help influence them for what's right. Lord, our church will be built when we have strong families. Help us to be a church with strong families. Lord, help us today to commit our hearts to following your model setting aside that which we know that is wrong, and Lord, engrafting that which is right. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Let's keep to you with our heads bowed and eyes closed. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, something in the message today, God put his finger in my heart and said, there's a change that needs to be made. Pastor, would you please pray for me? If that's you, slip up your hand, don't hesitate. Something in my heart needs to change. Some action in my life needs to change. Pastor, pray for me. I see your hands. Listen, we need to hit the reset button with our relationships. We need parents that do it in a way that's biblical. In a moment, we're going to open the altar. And if you're here today and you're a parent or grandparent, I would encourage you, if you have a spouse with you here today, to grab them and come down here and kneel and pray. And just ask God to give you wisdom on how to do your role wherever you are in life. If you're a single parent here today, Maybe you bend a knee and pray and ask that God would give you the strength to know how to be both a mom and a dad to your children. Let's make decisions this morning about being parents that please God. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm going through a tough time in my life right now. Life is hard. I'm going through a very difficult trial, and I just need some prayer. If that's you, as you slip up your hand, I'm going through some hardships. I see some hands. Are there others? I see some hands. Life's tough. Life's got you down. Boy, life comes at us fast. Sometimes it kicks us in the mouth. I'll pray that God helps you through this. Lord, we pray for those who are going through hardships. Help them. Be near to them during this time. In Jesus' name.